Good morning. I figure if I go another 31 years, I'll be 99 years old. No way. I want to be out of here before I'll even take the next couple of years. How about you guys? So it's been a blessing to see what the Lord's done in spite of all of us. He's put us together. And I'll tell you, foundationally, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, wouldn't have done what I did uh, 31 years ago. And that was just to re- just start, start a Bible study in Tukwila. And it became Calvary Chapel South. But the grounding influences of Pastor Chuck Smith in my life, I was there at Costa Mesa five years, to just be in the Word. Go through the Word, teach the Word. The Spirit of God works through the Word of God and changes the people of God. Amen. So that's what we do. That's what we're about. Uh, We want to worship the Lord in sincerity and truth. We want to give to him the glory that's due his name. And we want to be actively living out our faith in such a way that it's impacting the world for the gospel. So I'm hoping that's happening in your life and ours. But the thing sometimes in looking back, you, you, you don't really see the incremental things the Lord's doing until you look back and you think and start going over what the Lord has done. It's amazing. And so... Uh, our study through the book of Exodus is taking us on a journey through the wilderness after God redeemed his people to teach us how to walk out our faith, how to do that. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of these studies, but this morning we're going to be in Exodus chapter 5 and 6. So would you open your Bibles to that, and I'm going to read just the first five verses of chapter 5, and then I want to do a responsive reading in Psalm 136. So would you stand? We honor God's word by standing together. And we'll go to the response of reading Psalm 136, which we actually someone read a lot of that to us yesterday in the the hour of prayer. And I thought we got to do this one this time. So here we go. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses and God's message, you and the gospel message is the title of this message. Afterward, Moses and Aaron were in, went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many, are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. Now, in Psalm 136, uh, wanted, I'll read the, the odd and the first and odd verses, and then if you would nice and zealously read the second, and there's a repeating thing for the, for the, his mercy endures forever, his steadfast love endures forever. Here we go. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. forever. 
and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his mercy endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his mercy endures forever. Who remembered us in our lowly estate, for his mercy endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that your mercy endures forever. Wait, woven through all that you've done, all that you've created, all that you're going to do is the mercy, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And Lord, were it not for those things, we would have perished long ago. But you are gracious, merciful, good, kind beyond all measure. And as we get in your word, I pray and ask, Lord, that the things that I prepared, you break them fresh and feed us, for your mercy endures forever. That the things that we need today is nourishment and strengthening and might be, you know, a correction. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying as we go through your word today. And I ask, Lord, your blessing over the hearts and minds and eyes of not just us, but all who are seeking you and watching or listening to your word. Bless it, Lord. Break it fresh. We're hungry. Feed us. As the deer pants for the water brook, so our souls thirst for you, O God. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. You are the bread of life and the water of life. You are everything. You're the becoming one. The I am that I am. So we bow in our hearts before you. Say, Lord, speak to us again from your word. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. You can be seated. So as you know, the theme of Exodus is redemption. It pictures our redemption in Christ. In Exodus 1 and 2, we saw God preparing a people, that is the children of Israel. We'll talk a little bit more about that in this study. In Exodus 2 and 3, we saw God preparing a person. That person is Moses. In Exodus 3 and 4, we saw when God called to Moses and then when God calls to us last week. So God prepares a person to call a person to do his work in his time, and in his way. And so be patient, my brothers and sisters, as God is at work in your life. In God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, where God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt into the glorious promised land that God had prepared for them, promised them. This is a huge story. And for many, it was a scary story. You didn't know what's coming up, and we don't know what's coming up either. The future is veiled from our eyes, and that's mercy of the Lord many times also. But in Exodus 3.9, it says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, God speaking to Moses. 
And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, so Moses, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. I see it, you're going. And Moses responds with a lot of excuses. And he had a lot of them that God answered in very simple ways. You know who I am. You know what to say and you know what to do, Moses, so go do it. Now, with Moses, as he, God revealed himself, he said, I am who I am. And I was on the becoming one. I will become whatever you need in your life. If I'm calling you to obedience, I will be who you need that you might be obedient. And so you're to bring my people out. Now, the interesting thing, and I think the encouraging thing, is the great Moses was reluctant. How many of you are reluctant? When it's scary, when you don't know what's coming up, and you're wondering, and you want all the facts before you're going to take the step. That is not really a depth of faith. If we have all the information, then we can believe it because it's information. But the question is, are we going to believe God when we don't have all the information? And Moses certainly didn't. He was reluctant to go do this great work that God had prepared him and called him to. So also, in doing that, even though he's reluctant, he steps out to do it, Moses experienced a very intimate relationship with God. If you want a deep relationship with God, if I want an intimate, deep relationship with God, it necessitates trusting him, obeying him, doing the things that are on our hearts as we sense they are from the Lord to step out and do them. Now, it's interesting in Psalm 103, verse 7, the psalmist writes, he made, his, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. In other words, the children of Israel came to know what God did. Moses knew why God did it. Huge difference of intimacy there. The children of Israel saw God's hand in action. Moses knew the heart that moved the hand. We're talking death. 80 years of already living, and now his final 40 years in serving God in difficult circumstance, but he knew the heart of God. In Deuteronomy, it says this, for chapter 34. But since then, there has, been, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all this la his land, and all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. The people saw it, Pharaoh saw it, Egypt saw it. Such intimacy with the Lord did anything to puff up Moses. Intimacy with the Lord brings into our hearts a deep humility that he would actually choose me, that he would call me, that he would stick it out with me, that he would be patient and kind. That's why that song it's still number one on my chart. All my life, you have been faithful. And you think of the goodness of God to you. Yeah, there have been a lot of trials, a lot of difficulties, a lot of questions. But when you stop to consider that the eternal God is your refuge, the eternal God is the one who stayed with you and stuck it out with you in all your reluctance and all your wavering of heart, God is faithful. All my life, you have been good to me. It just harmonizes the Spirit of God with my heart and says, God is good all the time. 
in Numbers. It says, now the man Moses, very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Now, Moses wrote that. Yeah, I, it's true. Moses knew, and I think he's writing out of this brokenness that God gave to him as a gift. He realized, you cannot walk in pride and get intimate with God. There's a breaking that God does for our sake. And so the work of God in calling us to himself is humility in knowing him. How? By loving others. By leading others to know him also. That's what a Christian is. And so as we continue our journey in Exodus chapter 5, first there was a message to the children of Israel. In chapter 5, it's a message to Pharaoh. And so we have this, these threefold things. I'll put in an outline for you, and we'll talk about these. God, Moses and God's message, you and the gospel message. Again, we're getting pictures of our redemption. Number one, it's a consistent, simple message, the gospel. Secondly, it's a confrontational, spiritual message, as Moses is going to find out, and we also know ourselves. Third, it's a covenant-saving message message. Praise the Lord. A new commandment I've given to you, a new covenant he instituted through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this message is for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. We just read the first three verses. Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. That's the simple message that he delivers. Let my people go. Now here he says that I should, that, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? This guy is haughty, proud, but he's powerful as far as what he thinks of himself and what the world would esteem him as. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. That's the God we're talking about, not the God of the Egyptians. Now, the interesting thing that Pharaoh himself is not just Pharaoh. He is considered a God. And so hold a feast to me. That's the divine side. God desires to be with us. You look at the feast that they celebrate. That's God saying, I want to be with you. I want to spend time. I want to enjoy our relationship. But then that we may sacrifice, that's the human side. That God provided also by which they could be with him. So here we have, let my people go, they may serve me is what every other now will get six times through the plagues where Moses said, let my people go that they may serve me. That's what God's saying to you, Pharaoh. It's a warning. Let my people go. Let my people go that they may serve me. The gospel message is, is consistently simple. Come to Jesus Christ and you can know God. Come to Jesus Christ and you can have all your sins forgiven and have fellowship with God. We're going to go to 1 John on Wednesday nights in our next series of studies. It's all about fellowship with God. If we say I have fellowship with God, we say we know God, and John's going to hit on these things, but it has to do with our intimacy with God, 1 John. Our, our fellowship is with one another, but it's also through Jesus Christ, through God, that we have this fellowship. So it is a consistently simple message. Keep it simple. Now, it's interesting in, when we get into the plagues, there are 10 of them, as you know. There are three triplets, and then there's a final one, the plague of death. In those three triplets, 
The first two is the warning. Let my people go. Let my people go. And then the third one, there's no warning. God just says, go do it. So God's saying to Pharaoh, this is the warning. Let my people go. They may serve me. Let my people go. Our message, the gospel message is God saying, I want to let you go from all your sin. I want to take care of all that, that you may serve me. And not be in bondage to a Pharaoh, not be in bondage to your sin, not be in bondage to the world, but you may serve me. And to serve God is the greatest position you will ever have as a human being. Being a servant of the Most High God. But being a servant of Pharaoh, being a servant of this world, being a servant of sin is bondage and emptiness. And it leads to a final death. So, he said, I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Again, he, is, he was considered God, one of the gods of Egypt. He was above all ordinary mortals. He refused to answer the Lord, God of Israel, the God of the Hebrews. He refuses it. He refuses to accept any command to do other than what he is going to do. He will not listen to the God who created him. Now, who is this God? He's about to find out. He is about to find out rather dramatically, which is what our studies will be coming up. So in chapter 2, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Moses and Aaron are before Pharaoh as God's representatives. So we're going to get this next week as we start this, the plagues, where there's these two representatives, Moses and Aaron, for God. But then you have the representative of Egypt in Pharaoh. So What's going on here is an invisible battle between heaven and hell. Between Pharaoh, that demonic representative, though he would like, not like to be known as that, and God himself through Moses and Aaron. We are in a spiritual battle. We must keep that in mind. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, 2 Corinthians, but mighty in God for the pulling down of what? Strongholds. God was going to do it with a strong deliverance, powerful deliverance. But there are powerful strongholds. And I asked one time, what's a stronghold? And someone said, it's a stronghold. I said, thank you very much. But what Paul says in Corinthians is, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, we have to be thinking as God would have us think and, and put away the things that are not according to God's word, what God has said. The weapon we are not carnal, but mighty God for the pulling down of strongholds. Ephesians, you know it well. We wrestle not against what? Principalities and powers, against the rules of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. And then we put, listen, you know, I know, but let me remind all of us, there is a spiritual battle going on for the soul, for the souls of sinners, and for your soul as well. There's a spiritual battle going on for the soul of your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. And the devil is great at hiding in the invisible realm of something else. Or someone else. And we're experiencing that, I think, in a level in our country we've never experienced before. Has it always been there? You bet it has. Has the devil been working? You bet he has. He's crafty. He's continually at work. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood. When we start getting into the flesh and realm, the flesh and blood realm, the devil goes, great. 
as he continues what he's doing to capture our minds, our thoughts, and not us not take them captive to the obedience of Christ and being ready to fulfill all disobedience once your obedience is fulfilled. What is the answer to these attacks? Obedience. We talked about that last week. We're going to talk about that a lot in Exodus. What's the answer for our problems? Obedience to God. Does that take away the problems? Not necessarily, but it gives to us God to walk through the problems with us, and God will not tempt us beyond what we're able. In other words, God is, when God calls us to obedience, he's prepared us to obey. The youngest believer has been prepared by God because now our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, even a one-day-old Christian has now been equipped, prepared to walk with God obediently and walk right out of bondage to sin and all those kinds of things. Is that easy? It's not easy. I'm not being simplistic with that, obviously. There are many things that, as believers, where God takes us into his home, into his family, he then begins to heal our lives. And there are many things that need a lot of healing. Would you say amen to that? But to become a believer in Jesus Christ, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we now have a whole nother perspective. We have a whole nother uh, desire. We have a whole nother power. And I want to say to each of us, do not minimize, maximize that truth. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been given new life. All things are passed away. All things become new. We can walk right out of Egypt. We can walk right out of sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we must be instructed into how does this thing continue to deepen. My relationship with God become deeper. It's through obedience to God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit that brings us to these places. So confrontation, we are in a battle. It's for the soul, our souls and the souls of others. Now, the interesting thing is that this request begins with a very reasonable and polite, polite question, uh, request. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. It's a very reasonable request. Three days, we want to just have a feast with God. God is entering into a controversy with Pharaoh and Egypt. That's what's going on here. I love what A.W. Pink wrote, quote, God is about to judge them, and in order that they may be judged, they must first be revealed to themselves and to all men. Had they been asked to suffer the Israelites to depart from Egypt, so large a demand might have seemed to others and certainly would have appeared to the Egyptians themselves as so unreasonable as to justify their refusal. A request is made, therefore, against which no charge of the kind can be brought. The heart of Pharaoh and of his people was, therefore, revealed in their scornful refusal of a perfectly reasonable request. God was consequently justified even in their own eyes, unquote. So it's a simple request. Three days, have a feast. Question, has God ever judged a people whom he has not first dealt with in a very fair manner. No. He endured with much long sufferings the vessels of wrath. He is long suffering toward us, not only that any should perish. So we have sort of a, a beginning invitation, a beginning, beginning request that says, no one, that's the beginning, but we'll see what happens. No one 
will be able to stand before God and say, God's not fair. It's extremely difficult to think of a loved one being eternally lost. That's hard. That's difficult. I'm not saying I have an answer to that because I don't. But I know who has the answer. It's God. And whatever happens at that judgment seat, whatever happens once we're all, our lives are done, whatever's happening there, we're going to find out just how good God is and how just he has been, how long-suffering and patient. Salvation is not us meeting God halfway. Salvation is God going all the way to meet us in our sinful lostness and offer to us fellowship. Now, we're going to look more at this in depth also with Pharaoh next week. The message here only makes matters worse. (laughs) Pharaoh hears it, and this is what we should expect in this spiritual battle Then the king of Egypt, verse 4, said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. I mean, it's kind of insane. (laughs) Anyway. I mean, he's making matters worse for them also. And so let them go. So he is saying, yeah, you can go, but here's what you're going to do when you go. You're going to gather straw. So go, but gather straw. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it for they are idle. This is out of a heart of despising them, power hungry, not caring about them doing things that make no difference in their lives, but all the difference in those over whom they are governing. I would say to you, we are experiencing the same thing in our country today. There is power that is being used not to benefit us, not to lead us, but to destroy us. I want to be careful here because there's a lot of things that I could spout. I don't want to spout. I just want to say to you, we need to put our lives under the governing authority of God as supreme. Because we can't trust man in his selfish power grid to do anything but what we're seeing. And this kind of thing erodes all morality. It erodes any legal sense of right and wrong and the things that come along with that. For example, our Constitution. That's what's going on. Power. Be able to control the masses. So does that mean when I come to Christ that, no, 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 it's there. But I have God who's leading me, who's keeping me, who's going to watch over me. If I go another 31 years and I'm 99, God will be faithful. You shall 
same quota. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. So now it's a lot, what, what they're hearing is a lie. The taskmaster of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go, again, go, get yourself straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota, and when, when there, and as when there was straw. Also, the office of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today? As you were? In other words, it's increasing, increasing. It's getting worse and worse. We should expect that. When you stir up the spiritual realm that hates God and hates God's people, we should expect the responses to deflect blame, to inflict pain on leaders. When Satan sees a soul beginning to respond to the light of the gospel, he turns up these things. He does all he can to keep them in that bondage. The people cry out to Pharaoh instead of crying out to the Lord. The officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh saying, Why are you dealing with us with your enemies? I want to be really careful here, honestly, because there are so many applications that we could put in place here. But when we're in the midst of what we're going through, who are we crying out to? Are we crying out to the government and Pharaoh? I think there's a place for that, and we're going to be talking more about that in the next few weeks. There's a place for that. We need to be light and salt in the very center of the government's the government that we're under. But the question I have for you, as for myself, who are we crying out to for answers? And what's going on here? Why have you not fulfilled your task? When Satan sees these things happening, and I believe that we are in the midst of seeing the church revived. And I don't say that lightly because I don't even like the word revival. It brings with it this rah, rah, yeah. Listen, revival comes as, a, as the fruit of brokenness and repentance and prayer. And we're on our face before God saying, you got to do something here or it's not going to happen. And I hope I'll be sharing a little bit more too on Wednesday nights, First John study. We're going to be turning that more into a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. And I want to exhort each and every one of you, if I might, I want to say to you, what are you doing Wednesday nights? What are your children doing on Wednesday nights? We gather here as a little oasis. We've had a fantastic time. We've gone through Daniel. We've gone through Revelation. We're doing it in a format that we can be learning how to equip ourselves and educate ourselves and be encouraged as the body of Christ by putting the word of God right in the center of what we're doing, putting worship right in the center of what we're doing, putting prayer right in the center of what we do, and then going to God with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our soul, all our strength, and saying, God, you got to do something here. We're crying out to you, God. Please, you got to move. you got to work. you got to do the things that are on our hearts. And I'm saying, rather than just sort of sit in posture and just kind of listen, I'm saying we lean forward and say, God, what are you doing? We want to see you move. Would you say amen with me to that?
I know that's a little off the cuff right now, but I'm saying to you, God wants to move in our church, among our people, in doing things that we never, that are on our minds and hearts, and I believe they come from God. That's why we need to pray them through. That's why we need to talk them through. That's why we need to say, God, what are you doing? I think on Wednesday nights we're going to be having communion also. What are we doing as the church? Are we crying out to God? Are we so focused on these other things that God never even comes into the tune? The people cry out to Pharaoh instead of crying out to, Mo, to Moses, instead of crying out to, to God. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, why are you doing these things to your servants? He said, you are idle, therefore you say, verse 17, let us go and sacrifice the Lord. Therefore go now and work, for no straw shall be given. So he's just, he's laying it on thick to stay in control and exercise his supposed godly stature. Then they came out and attacked the messengers. This is crazy. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh. Wow. And all they're doing is delivering the message. And that's what I think we can say to people. The God, hey, I'm just the messenger. I'm just saying to you what God told me to say to you. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? So now Moses is, is in this place, and that happen, it happens. Lord, why? Why? I gave the message. Why? He says there, why is, why, what, why is it you have sent me? I'm sure somebody else might have been more successful. I want to share this story again. I've shared it before, but I had an encounter a couple years ago with a with, uh, pastor down in Crossroads Church down in Vancouver. And he's talking about how he does a gospel message. He does a gospel message every service. I said, wow, I, need, I really felt prompt. I need to do that. And I was doing that for a while. And I, I well, maybe I shouldn't tell this story. <laughs> but then I'm thinking, you know, we have this discussion in his office. Charlotte was there. Garrett was there. We have this, this discussion. And I'm thinking, man, I need to do that. Of course. What, what? So then I, later on in the day, I said, so, Daniel, tell me, what happens if they don't respond? No hesitation. He looked at me and I said, brother, you need to get past yourself. And it was like the Holy Spirit just freed me from something I was unconsciously operating under. I said, of course course. And so this, this, these are good times for God to work. God will be dealing with Pharaoh, but he will also be dealing in the hearts of his people in this whole exodus. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, why have you, why have you, why'd you choose me? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why do you choose me? God wants to say, not because of you but because of me. What a great, your questions are good. Consistent, simple message, a confrontational spiritual message, message, but here it is, it's a covenant-saving message. So look what happens, chapter 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. So it's so God has allowed this whole thing to go on, that now he's going to say, now is time. And there are things God's doing 
before it's time, but now he's saying, now you're going to see. You'll see. You're going to see what I'll do to power. You're going to see my power on display. You're going to see how absolutely powerless Pharaoh and all of his gods and all of his armies are when it comes to facing me. And we stand in that knowledge. The Lord says, even your best efforts, your perfect obedience, your courageous faith are not enough. You need me if you have any chance of winning the battle. Now he also says, now you shall know who I am personally. And God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. And by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I am the Lord. Four times in verses 2, 6, 7, 8, 29. Faithful and true is the Lord. Saying to Moses, now you shall know who I am personally. What a great fruit. What a great thing he does. God's special relationship with Moses. My name is Lord was not known to them, but I know you as Lord. The special significance of me, my name to you, Moses. May I say to you, it's the same for every one of God's people. You are going to know me personally. You shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, but you're going to see, you're going to know me personally. That's the journey. That's the exodus. Special significance, personally, to know the Lord. And so deeply intimate was Yahweh with Moses. Moses, apart from the patriarchs, chosen as my messengers, you are my messenger in a special sense, uniquely. My love for you, you're going to translate that into my love for people. My faithfulness to you, you're going to translate that into my faithfulness with the people that you're leading. Amazing. Now they shall see and know what I will do for them. I've established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. So God's saying, I established my covenant. I promised them that I will do this. I'm going to do it. You shall see and know what I will do through you, Moses. And I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel when the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. The message goes out from God to Moses. I remember my covenant. I established my covenant. Therefore, he says, now say to the children of Israel, who, by the way, just had severely mistreated him, said, I want, we want nothing to do with you. You go back and you say to them, I am the Lord. Now, these seven I wills, there are two other places in Genesis 17 and Jeremiah where there are seven I wills of God. It begins with, I am the Lord, covenant establishing Lord, the framework of the covenant, the divine assurance of God that he will do these things. That's the message. That's the gospel message. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great judgments, power. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Applause. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses. Not like before. They bowed their head in worship. Not this time. They're kind of mad at Moses. 
because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. As far as the children of Israel are concerned, the message was a hoax. It doesn't really work. It's not really what's going on. Pharaoh was not impressed, and neither were the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, let the children of Israel go out of this land. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. All God's saying to Moses, Go and deliver the message. Go and deliver the message. The results are up to me. No, there's a subtle, I love this. It says there, Moses spoke before the Lord. I think this is something that is so intimate and special. You see, there's a subtle wording here that we might easily miss. It says, then Moses spoke before the Lord. You go back to Moses' interaction with the Lord six times. What we read is this, Moses said to God, 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 and here it says, Moses spoke before the Lord. I believe there's something special going on here of Moses, no longer the reluctant Moses, but the obedient Moses. That Moses not just talking to God, he was speaking before the Lord. A profound change, it seems, in his heart before God. The reluctance is fading, and the confidence before God is rising. Do you have that going on in your life? Not just saying things to God, saying, but realize that you're in the presence of God. You're speaking before God. He's called you. He's commanded you with a message. He said, go, 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 go back. His excuses are less and less as his time with God increases and becomes more and more. That's what God does. God now begins to speak to Moses and Aaron by way of commandment. This is where this starts. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt. A message becomes the command in his own heart and mind. I've got to do what God's called me to do. It's an obedient issue. I'm going to do it. God's authority over his life is increasing. And his humility before him with his plans and thoughts is increasing. So the remainder of the chapter seems somewhat misplaced. It's not. There are the, no, so verse 14, these are the heads of their father's house, the sons of Reuben. These are the families of Reuben. And as you go through, you have the remaining chapters, this genealogy, which looks like this. If it's, did we get that up there? Yeah. Here's the Moses' ancestor from Abraham. So in the Bible knowledge, so there's Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then Levi, then Amram, and then Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. That's who's speaking. That's who's this is all about. Bible knowledge commentary says this, quote, this passage puzzles some readers because it seems to be an unnatural insertion into the narrative. However, the genealogy was placed there to identify Moses and Aaron more precisely because of the prominent position they were assuming as representatives of the people before the Egyptian state. In verses 26 and 27, which close this passage, tie this unit, this unit with verse 13 and explain 
why the genealogy is given. It was this same Aaron and Moses, verse 26, repeated in verse 27, and they were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh. Then you get into all these, so this genealogy is there because God is saying, these are the same men, real in history. This whole covenant thing, this whole what God did, it's historical and it's true. It's by these men who lived and, are, and it's true. So verse 26, these are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the children of Israel from the hand of Egypt according to their enemies. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Real people, real men in time and space and history. This is who did this. And may I say to you, there's a note being written about what you're doing with your life, with the message God's given to you. Came to pass, verse 28, on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord again, behold, I have uncircumcised lips and how shall Pharaoh heed me? Yes, that twice. To be continued. Amen. Stand with me. Let me pray and we'll, we'll worship together. So, Lord, we bow before you. Just bow before you, Lord. And we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the gift of God unto salvation. We thank you that you've entrusted us with this treasure in earthen vessels that we should proclaim to the world that we are actually an example to the demonic realm through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your power, your promises, your purposes, the things for which you have called each one of our lives to know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ. And we have that same message, Lord. The same one. So I pray you'd help us, Lord. You'd fill us, Lord. You would lead us, Lord, into a deeper intimacy with you that translates into a greater understanding of how wonderful you are, how wonderful it is to serve you, and how powerful you are to actually use our lives to change eternal destinies of people in this world. We take that to heart. As we bow our hearts before you, Lord, we take that to heart. I'm going to ask you to do that as myself. We, we would just confess, Lord, to you our reluctance many times, our excuses many times. Help us, Lord, to have the fellowship with you that changes that. Help us, Lord, to spend time in your word that changes that. Help us, Lord, to understand that we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit that changes that. Help us, Lord, in our repentance, in our confession of sin, that you might cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We go deeper with you because, Lord, that's the answer. That's the message. So please help us to preach the gospel to ourselves and then to others the message you've given to us. We just want to stay at it. Just ask you, I'm going to pray a little, just 
pray out a couple things here. Just to stay at it, Lord. To take to heart the things that we hear. This message is simple. It's consistent. It's a battle. We get that. It's a covenant that we've been given by faith in Jesus Christ. And oh, Lord, how we want our hearts to beat with your heart. Not just to know your acts, but to know your ways. To know your heart in, want, in sending your son for the sin of the world. To know your heart in loving every single person you've created in your image. You love them. You died for them. You were willing to go to that, to that great length to do what we cannot do in order that we might be able to not only ourselves be saved out of bondage, but also to be the message that people hear. Maybe it's something quick and simple, whatever it is, that they might turn to you. And that's my prayer. That's our prayer, Lord. Go before us. We've, we've been delivered. We've been redeemed. Go before us on a daily basis with this message in mind. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. He says, can we just worship the Lord in song here and I'll close. Lift our hearts to him. He is worthy. Bow our knee before him. He is worthy. Jesus, Jesus. Ah.